Hi, welcome to the Xbox World Podcast. We're going to talk about stuff, and some more stuff, and then some more stuff again. Games, and I'm sure we'll, we'll go off the beaten track as usual, um, but first we'll introduce ourselves. I'm uh, Tim, the editor. Uh, I'm Matthew, staff writer. And I'm Mike. I, I do what Matt does as well. Sorry, I'm in the middle of eating my uh, fruit and nuts here. Um, but um, don't don't worry about me, guys. You go ahead and, Mike, you talk about Batman. Should I talk about Batman? There's literally only one place to start this week. Yeah, uh, we've had Batman in the office. Not the full game. We've got to go away and play that game in a couple of weeks. Um, unfortunately, IDAS aren't actually releasing Final Code to us, so we have to go and visit them and sit in a hotel room. And we've spoken about this before on the podcast, how some games, uh, you know, developers prefer us to visit them because they, they don't want games leaked, you know, that way. Of course, games never really get leaked that way. They only they get really leaked, you know, as preview code later, uh, so you know, or from the factory, uh, the repro factory and so on. But, you know, sometimes you've got to play the, by their rules, and in this case, we will be because Batman is brilliant. Mm. It's so, so good. Um, we've played... I believe to be half the game, but IDOS suggests otherwise. I'm, I'm not convinced. We'll see. And looking at the map, there doesn't seem to be as much game left as they, they, they're claiming there is. But yeah, we'll see on that one. In any case, it's a really exceptional game. Last time we spoke about Red Faction, it was a surprise that it was so good. And it, we had a lot of feedback from you guys saying, oh, yeah, you know, I had no idea this game was going to be as good as it is. So I'm going to take a look at it. And of course, a lot of you will have played the demo by this time, the time this goes up. And hopefully you're all you know surprised again at just how good it is, um, and the game is a lot better than that little demo. But Batman, we always sort of expected good things from in a way we didn't from Red Faction. We always expected it to be, you know, a very polished game, uh, you know, with a lot of money thrown at it. But at the same time, the the, the licensing fears rear their head. Yeah, it's still think, a licensed game. I think we were quietly uh, quietly confident that it would be a solid game, but I think. Like you say, there's been such a history. It's basically Batman. Batman Arkham Asylum is fighting against history. It's fighting against the history of shat. Oh, I can count. I can count probably three good Batman games. Two of them were on the spectrum. Yeah. Batman, um, Cape Crusader, Batman the movie, which is also on the Amiga and so on, and that only had a couple of good stages out of its five, and then Batman Returns on the SNES. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Actually, yeah. I was writing my Ed's intro the other day when you were just in the mag we just sent, and I was trying to. Yeah, Batman Returns was all right. Yeah, yeah the fisticuffs bits were good, but they also had bits where it was like a shoot. It was a two D shooter, like um, like uh, you use batarangs instead of a gun, mm. and then there was uh, driving bits as well, which were awful. So those two bits were crap, but then the fighty bits, the sort of turtles style final fight, walk along, throw guys around bit, were really good. I think it's fair to say as well that we were unsure what to expect from the development team behind Arkham Asylum, only because Urban Chaos at Rocksteady's first game was was good, you know, it was good. It certainly wasn't the sort of standard we're talking about in Arkham Asylum. I mean, I had Urban Chaos. I had both Urban Chaoses, actually, because there was one on the PlayStation 1, one on the PlayStation 2. Very different games. Urban Chaos Riot Response was... um, Urban Chaos Riot Response was the Rocksteady one. The first one was, like, Tomb Raider meets... Oh, it was you were in a cop in a city, so, I don't know, Tomb Raider meets, like, true crime type game. Um, but yeah, the the first person shooter, the really bloody one, um, which was Rocksteady's, it was a. I don't think it was underappreciated because it got a lot of high scores when it came out. Unfortunately, just no one bought it. Yeah, I think it did sort of eights across the board. It was released at a funny time. I mean, it's right towards the end of the 360 and PS2's life, you know. And it's a real solid well, game. 360s anyway. But um, Xbox is run. 
it was a real solid game, but no one expected a, you know the devs of a you know a solid PlayStation Two FPS of which there were many to turn around and make a a licensed game that at the risk of playing our our cards early, you know yeah, is I mean, a, is a rival to something like Gears. We don't want to. We don't want to. We want to talk about Batman because we're so excited about it, but we don't want to talk about it too much because, as um, people who, who listen to this will will know if they've seen our next month page in the current issue, we're doing it next issue. So we don't want to we want to sort of give away everything that Mike's got to say in his feature, and also some of the stuff, really interesting stuff that Rocksteady had to say to him when he when he, you spoke to him last week especially yeah. about how they got the gig in the first place yeah we we did they were you know we, we shouted to the producer Sefton Hill who you you guys will know from watching the trailer of the um you know the, the the predator gameplay the invisible predator stuff he did a commentary on that and um we I spoke to him for about an hour uh just about various topics about design about how they handle design at their studio about how they got the gig in the first place about what they made they think of Batman you know about all the all the things that really made the game as good as it is and some of their explanations for how do they make their games, it's, it's almost as if they have an innate understanding of fun there. And their explanations for how they go about making a game nothing but fun are very interesting. Yeah. He also said some, I mean, again, I don't want to give too much away because it's a great feature and we, uh, you know, people should check out what Mike's done with it. But one of the interesting things he did say, and you and me, Mike, were talking about in the office, is he said about how... They seem to really get Batman, and, and they seem to understand that. I think you you were saying all his villains are very very good at one kind of specific thing. Yeah. Uh, well, you explain it. You touch well, it to him. Batman is incredibly capable in every way, right? That's the point of Batman. He he can do every. You know, he's he's the ultimate man. He's fast. He's got incredible endurance. He's got an incredible mind. Incredibly strong body. Very he's very resilient. He's very inventive. He's very creative. He's a great tactician and all these things. Now, his villains are massively flawed. They're actually very bad at all of the things that make Batman great. The Joker is not a strong guy, you know. But all of his villains are really good at one thing. So, you know, you have a villain who's smarter than Batman. You have a villain that's stronger than Batman. For example, Bane is stronger than Batman. You have the Joker who's crazier than Batman. And Batman is, of course, absolutely crazy. You have, um, you know, the Riddler who is... Or certainly believes himself to be smarter than Batman. So all these people are better at one thing, but Batman's good at, you know, decent at everything, you know, very, very good at everything. And he sort of really reflected that in the game. Going up against regular thugs in that game, they've got no hope. They've got, they've got no chance. But against certain guys, the boss fights in the game are always a test of that one skill. They're always a test of, like, you know, Batman's physical ability or his agility or something. You know, it's always each one, each of the villains they picked in the game is designed to push Batman in a certain way, and then they push it and they push it and they push it. The Joker, for one, um, the Riddler, rather, for one, pushes you through the entire game. Every major room in the game has a riddle, and it's up to you to solve that riddle. Basically, you have to find the thing and then take a photo of it using your, your detective vision. So, say the riddle will be something very simple, like, what does a bird need in the rain? Well, the answer is the penguin's umbrella, and you find the umbrella, you take a snap, and you get, you get this reward. And sometimes it's different things. It's um, you know, sometimes you get a profile, sometimes you get like a three D statue in the game, or, or maybe even a challenge room because the challenge rooms unlock in the same way. But the real reward comes from like you know from you, like Portal or Braid or something. Is when you the more as you see by solving the puzzles, like your brain rewards you, and you just feel good. You know, they're never really difficult. 
but they're always just difficult enough that when you solve them, you think, oh, you know, I, I did something there. I actually, you know, I, I worked that out. Don't read any guides on this one if you can avoid, you know, if you can help it. Don't read any, you know, any riddle guides because some of them are really devious, but they're all very solvable. Mm. I think um, that level of understanding a license on a whole is it's kind of what's missing from most licensed products. I think that's the one, the one feature I would say if, if a licensed game is coming out, the one feature you worry about. It's like we've talked many times about Bond games. Mm. And Tim, you've said a couple of times, like no one really, apart from Rare, got what Bond's about. Mm. It's not about running in with a rocket launcher, you know, blammo in every room up. It's about understanding the role of each person. And they've done that brilliantly with Batman and specifically the villains. Yeah, I think one advantage they have had is that because it's based on the comics, they've had no time frame necessarily to finish it. Yeah. You know, they haven't had a film to coincide with, um, you know, and they haven't had to hit a certain a certain period of, of release. And I think that what what's, what that's done is enabled them to get everything just pitch perfect. And I think actually basing it on the comics has also allowed them to have uh, to produce a much more all-encompassing Batman game because they can take whichever villains they want and they can do whatever they want with it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I agree. They really, I mean, it's obvious when Mike chatted to them for the in, from the interview with, um, with Sefton Hill is that they understand Batman and you can see it when you play it. Yeah, that understanding comes across in all of the mechanics, you know. One of the things they said they, they sat and talked about at great length is little things like how does Batman open doors? You never see Batman open a door, ever, because he just seems to turn up, he just appears. So he had to work for ages on how Batman would open a door. In What you forget is when you see him in movies when he just drops and grabs mm. a guy and then rips the guy up into the sea of the sky and he, the guy's just vanished or, you know, lunges out of the shadows, grabs a guy and just drags him back into the shadows. And when he strikes like that, to be there in the first place would have taken preparation. To be there in the first place would have taken a lot of skill. And I remember saying this to Seth and I was like, you know, it really made me think about... Batman in a slightly different way. And he was like, well, that's, yeah, that's interesting because we really think about that. And the preparation side of Batman is like one of the most important things about the character. He's always prepared for any, any situation he finds himself in. And that's what you have to do. So much of the game is that. The stealth sections where you're, you know, you're taking down a room full of guys, those sections are you know, all about preparation. You look at the guys, you stay up high and you observe and you, you kind of cheat, you know, you sort of, you watch them. They can't see you and you can watch them for as long as you want while you're up there. Look, work out where they're going and then start laying traps for them. Put explosives here. Make sure you're in the right position to drop on this guy there when he comes running in to see what happened when that thing exploded. And you can really set up these elaborate chains of consequences for these bad guys, which you know, is exactly what Batman would do. Mm. And of course, Batman's not just a big brain. He's, you know, a, he's, you know, he's a massively strong, incredible fighter as well. And those sections have been pulled off exceptionally well it kind of feels a little bit like Assassin's Creed system but the guys from Rocksteady were very you know very clear on the, the fact that Assassin's Creed wasn't an influence on the game they were very big on saying you know, Zelda and Metroid those were big influences but not so much not so much Assassin's Creed but the combat seems to have grown up around the same time as Assassin's Creed's combat so, you know, so essentially a one button thing well two buttons in this case you've got a move and a counter but within that system, you'd be surprised how much depth they've managed to get in. I mean, you can stun people with your cape as well as a third option. But it's all about chaining these sequences together. Sure, you can pick up the controls from day one and be mash, 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 mash from guy to guy, and you'll win. But if you 
take your time and time your attacks perfectly. You can build these incredibly long combos, 22 attacks, 50 attacks, 75, and it increases and increases. And every time it gets higher and higher, you get, you're dealing out more and more damage. You get it past an eight-string combo, and you can start doing these finishing moves where you just grab a guy, take him down on the floor, snap his leg, move on to the next guy, throw him on the floor, break his arm, go to another guy, put your, your knee behind his back, and then just wrench his back. And you can, it's really visceral, really, you know, really, really feel like Batman. And you feel capable mm. the first time you pick up the controller, but once you get good at it, you really feel like a mastery of the game. You never feel crippled when you first start. You just feel really good the longer you go on. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I think it's... <clears throat> we talked about it a little bit with... Uh, I think it was in the last podcast, or maybe it was the one before, where we talked about Wanted, which is nowhere near the game Batman is, but it does make you feel like a badass. Oh, yeah, you and, feel like just completely invincible in that game. And in Batman, it's a little bit like that. I mean, yeah. when you're taking on, you know, five, ten... You know, there's a lot in the challenge rooms, especially. Um, you know, there's a lot of goons, you know, that come crawling out of the woodwork, and you feel like a total badass as you take them down, chaining these combos together. I mean, even me, who's increasingly become rubbish at games over the years, especially compared to you two, felt like I was so powerful as Batman. You know, I was like, it's just the feeling of like punching some douche in the face and then like catching another guy's fist just as he lays one on you and then turning around and, you know, just, just the, the way it's all linked together is very clever, and, it's, and like you say, Mike, it's extremely simple. I think really one of my <clears throat> one of my favourite things about it is that it does the whole Zelda and Metroid thing of collecting items to open up new areas, but it doesn't doesn't have the same beginnings. Like every time you start a, a Zelda game, you feel like you're crippled. You feel like you've done it all before. You've got all your equipment. You're starting off, you know, with nothing again. Or with Metroid, you begin with everything, and then it all gets taken away from you half an hour into the game. You got to you got to get everything back. Whereas in Batman, you feel like you're walking into Arkham Asylum with all the equipment mm. that you need to survive. And it just so happens that along the way, you get extra bits to add to your kit mm. so that you know you can explore more areas and do more damage. But you, you're never walking in there feeling like you've been shortchanged by the game, that you're not the full Batman. Yeah, to explain the structure a little bit, essentially, you know, you, you walk in. It's, the opening is kind of a uh, Chronicles of Riddick sort mm. of opening. You walk into this prison once you get in there the joker escapes and as you then you know you're, you're taking on lots of small missions as you go through so you're running through these corridors and some guy will say you know batman this you know this this room's been gassed we need you can you please help us before you and you'll help him and you'll be moving around it's, it's an open world but you'll be taking a linear path mm. through it make no mistake and every now and again you'll see for example a high vent that you can't get to yet you can't do anything with but you'll make a mental note of it later because when you get when later on when you finally get out of that building, it's back to the Batmobile. You can get the back claw from the Batmobile, and then you can use that claw to wrench down grates and so on. Or you know, maybe you you arrive at an area where there's a wall which you with the detective vision you can see through because it's a weakened wall. Well, once you get the the, the gel later on, actually it's the gel you get from the uh, the Batmobile. It's the you get the back claw afterwards. You get an explosive gel which you can lay onto any wall, and it, if it's on a weak wall, it'll take that wall out. But you don't get it until later. You just, you just make a mental note. Now, you don't need to go back. You'll never, you'll never have to return to an area because you know you had to be there. But it's kind of like when you're playing Zelda and you see a, a cave. You go into a cave and there's a weird rock at the back of the cave, and you'll be like, you know, if I blow that up, there's going to be something there. And sure enough, when you come back later, once you've got the bombs, or once you've got the power glove, which lets you lift thing really heavy objects, there will be something there. And Batman does a lot of that. But if you want, there is just one clean route through the game, 
and it's a hell of a route. It's a really good story. Mm. Um, I've spoke, I think we spoke on the podcast before about Hamill's massively over over the top Joker and mm. how Batman is kind of a little bit. The voice they chose for Batman on the animated show was something of a kid-friendly Batman voice, I always found. Mm. But both are excellent in the game. Yeah, you came round to Hamill, have you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He's, he's very, very good. He, um, he's not the Joker you'll know from you know, watching recent movies, but he is a good Joker. Yeah, he's sort of very... Um, I mean, I haven't seen, obviously I haven't seen Hamill in anything for years. He's yeah. a very camp Joker, make no mistake. But he, he didn't really sound like Hamill, I thought. He sounded almost like English. Yeah. He's sort of like, oh, bats, welcome to... You know, that sort of stuff, isn't he? He's That's exactly like, how he does it. He's, a very, he's a very, very camp Joker, for sure. Yeah. Alfred's gone a bit insane and dyed his hair green. <laughs> That's right. I think one last thing on Batman. It looks so good as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, visually, it's just... What they've done with Unreal 3 is it's not quite up there with Epic, but I think it's not too far behind. Yeah, they've certainly done a better job than anyone else apart from Epic has done with that engine. If you look at like uh, Rainbow Six Vegas, which is a decent looking game, it's not even close to what the um, Rocksteady have achieved with Batman. I think it helps with the detective vision and that sort of stuff, which looks beautiful. Yeah, they've done some things with the engine where you didn't even think were possible, you know? There are sections where you take on a particular villain, the one villain we're not allowed to discuss... But I'm sure people can take a decent guess at who it is at some just by the names we haven't mentioned in the feature. Mm. And when you take on this particular villain, the stuff they do with the Unreal Engine is absolutely incredible. The, the technical prowess those guys have got. I mean, they did say they did say they spent after after making Urban Chaos, they spent years doing nothing but experiment with Unreal Three, and that's you know kind of very much how they got the gig, just because of their mastery of the technology and the fun game they made with Urban Chaos. The people are going to be incredibly impressed by those sections in particular, but throughout the game, it's it's full of enormous areas. I mean, truly colossal areas, which I think only really Turok has attempted to do with the Unreal Engine, mm. and let's face it, didn't do as nearly as nice a job. No. So moving on, uh, both of you have been to events this week. We'll go with Matt first because you were first out of the office this week. Bethesda's event on Monday. Yeah, so I was um, went to London on Monday um, for a big. Bethesda event didn't quite realize how big it was until we were there maybe a couple of hours waiting for everyone else to jo- to join us and like all the American journals you you know you might love you might not love they all turned up so you think hmm, they've flown a good 20 to 30 American journalists over to London for this must be summit big so um let's think when's this going up this is going up next Friday yeah, we're good for all NDAs. Yeah. Everything is clear to speak about. So we sat down. Uh, Peter Hines was there. Who Kit- is the... Pete Hines, who's like... Essentially the mouthpiece of yeah, Bethesda. Yeah, he's basically yeah. Mr. Bethesda. Is he um, PR and marketing? Yeah, something like that, yeah. VP, VP of PR and marketing. Whenever you talk to Bethesda, you usually talk to this guy. Yeah. That way. Very nice guy. Very nice bloke. So he starts off, he talks about um, the Fallout 3 DLC, Broken Steel, the final bit of DLC, um, which is out... On Wednesday, as you're listening to this, it's out in a few days' time, um, revealing some of the details, some of the story details, so we won't spoil it for you. Um, new perks, such as um, you, you get a dog in the game called Dogmeat, who, if Dogmeat dies, that's the end of Dogmeat, but you've got a perk that can bring him back now. So um, I'm sure lots of people would be pleased they can be walking around Fallout 3 with with their new dog. Zombie dog. <laughs> Zomboid dog. I think technically Zom-dog. it's just... It's just a puppy that carries over the traits of uh, of dog meat, so it's not quite oh, a zombie a dog, puppy. which is which is sad. 
Um, so you showed us some, some Fallout 3 DLC. Then we got to see their next game, which is, well, it's not their game, it's Rebellion's next game, so which they're publishing. They're a publisher now. I mean, they're, they're, they publish their own stuff, and they're going to be publishing games for other developers. Yeah. So, what, so one of worth, their big hopes... putting a bit of background about it. Sorry, Matt. Uh, Rogue Warrior was a game that they announced probably like two years ago, yeah. maybe even more than that. Three, when, when, three I visit, when I visited ago. them last year, they had Rogue Warrior posters up all over yeah. their studio. Basically based on the on the life of uh, Dick Mach- Marchinko. Richard Marchinko, who's like a, who was uh, an American... Sort of Navy SEAL yeah. matter. Went, um, went to Russia, went mental, is yeah. that right? One-man show, basically. Wasn't yeah, he? yeah went behind enemy lines, stabbed a few foreign-looking people, and then came back over. Um, but he's written books and all that sort of yeah. stuff, and he's, he's, you know... I wouldn't want to say all that to his face, basically. Anyway, they... Um, they announced it, and we all thought that Bethesda were were developing it, and so we were secretly quite excited about yeah. it because Bethesda kind of going down a bit of a different route. But, but Rebellion and developing it, and you think you know Rebellion, they've made some good games. Rogue Trooper, that's another game with Rogue, Rogue in the title, which is excellent. Game. Sniper mm-hmm. Elite, excellent game. Aliens vs Predator, excellent. Then you remember, oh, hang on, Rebellion are also making Sega's Alien vs Predator, mm. and they're making Rogue Warrior. It must mean that there are two teams at Rebellion. So AVP, you know, they've got a good team on that. What's the other team been doing? And we dun, thought, what they've done? Dun. They've just done shell shock, blood trial. Yeah, they, they've got they? Rebellion, they have an A team and a B team. And it's the B team that's on Rogue Warrior. It wasn't confirmed, but basically seeing that game in action very much suggests to me that it's the B team working on that. Rogue Warrior is an FPS that I, I honestly can't say... There's one thing about that that makes it stand out from the crowd. It's very, it's very much very generic. another FPS. Um, we actually quizzed the, the developers on, you know, what makes this game special? What's, what's good about your game? Tell us the one thing about your game that we should get excited about. And the response was, <clears throat> the kill moves. <laughs> Which is basically, you run up to a guy, you hit B, and one of 25... Ra- Randomly, it picks one of 25 kill moves where he'll stab him in the eye or if you're on a bridge, he'll toss the guy off a bridge. Um, so basically, stuff you've already seen in 50 Cent or in Wanted or in almost any other game. With so some people moves. might say, though, Matt, that having you've having you just reviewed uh, a game in the issue we just sent called Wolverine uh, X-Men Origins or X-Men Origins Wolverine, which is essentially a game where you go around and stab people in the face using... Yeah. What might be loosely described as kill moves, yeah. and yet you absolutely loved that. I did. I loved Wolverine. Wolverine was a very pleasant surprise, um, and, so and a decent difference? game. The difference is that this is a generic first-person shooter, and the best thing they can say about it is that you, there's a melee kill. So what makes it so generic? Um, because it's... They showed us Mission 4, which is uh, halfway between Korea... Well, it's actually on the Korea-Russian border. And um, and Dick's going... He's making his way across a bridge, and the plan is to destroy a trainload of ballistic missiles, stop him going into Russia. So he's shooting some guys along this bridge, ducking behind cover, shooting some more guys, a few more, goes into a building, shoots a few more guys other side of the building, shoots a few more and then blows up a train, plants a couple of C4 uh, explosives and uh, and blows up the bridge and then the train. It looks, okay, it was pre-alpha, but it 
really, really does not look is good. Is it, it like an like on rails kind of? Um, is it like kind of on rails action shooter, like um, scripted shooter, like uh, Call of Duty, or is it more like a sandbox shooter, like Halo? Uh, well, it's it's scripted in terms of it's very much the, if you play it through again, the guys are all going to be at the same place mm -hmm. doing the same thing, but. I mean, in, when you think of scripted games, you think of like Half-Life 2, there are scripted events like a massive tower will come crashing down at a certain point. There's no like wow factor to this. Mm. There's, there's, no, there's, there's nothing going on with the environment, nothing dynamic. Um, it's very much you just walking from <clears throat> A to B, popping a few guys along the way. The, in fact, the best thing about it was the voice work, which was done by Mickey Rourke. Mm. And that is quite and cool. his incredible melting face. Yeah. Um, was he dropping the F-bombs of fun? Seriously, um, if you're spotted and everyone starts crowding around you, like the music ramps up a bit, and you've got Mickey Rourke going, oh, F this, F that, mother F it. Like every two seconds, Mickey Rourke's dropping an F-bomb if you're spotted. So they've really got their money worth out of Mickey Rourke because they use him constantly but they haven't really got their money worth out of Rebellion. I think, it, it, I mean, we don't want to write it off yet, obviously, because we haven't had it in the office to spend tons of time. In fact, we haven't even been hands-on because it was just a hands-off demo, wasn't it? It was, yeah. yeah. So we're not going to write it off, but I think that when we go to these events, it, we do tend to get a sort of vibe for games fairly early on, and there have been a few exceptions, I should say, that have sort of crawled out the woodwork <coughs> months after we've first yeah. seen them that have turned out to be excellent. But generally, when we see a game, you, you get a fairly good fit vibe for it like straight off the bat. Um, so what was your straight off the bat vibe of Wet, their other game? Yeah, so the next game they showed us was Wet, which is... Uh, it's all gone a bit quiet on the Wet front since the whole Activision Blizzard merger. And um, Yeah, it was one of the games which didn't get picked up by anybody, as far as we could tell. And we weren't... I won't say we were hotly anticipating Wet. We thought it looked interesting you know it looked a bit like stranglehold but but better <clears throat> but better which i don't think was i mean mike and i aren't we aren't too big fans of, of stranglehold so I'd, i in my personal opinion i don't think it's too much to ask for a, a stranglehold type game to be better than stranglehold but um no we saw wet and it looks it's definitely improved since we last saw it uh, it's got a few neat little modes added it's got something called rage mode where everything goes a bit mad world like all the color, well, it, it all goes to this comic book Sin City style graphic overlay, and it's all red. And um, Ruby, who's the main character, is blasting through the levels, killing That's people. That's a terrible the front name for a lead character, mm -hmm. isn't it? Ruby with an and eye as well. There's going to be no titillation either. No, um, I think I think it's a good thing, um, but maybe on the marketing front, it's it's not too wise a choice. But Pete took the mic and told us that Bethesda were very clear when they picked up Wet. They didn't want to go down the titillation front. There'd be it, no like skimpy costumes. Here's the or... thing with that, right? <laughs> now, I, yeah, I'm not. I, I've, I'm married, so it's not like I'm. Uh, I'm. You know, uh, I've gone the last <laughs> 15 years without having sex or something. But you look at these games, and the game that you know, I would say. I mean, I'm just plucking figures out of the air here, but I'm saying probably like 75 percent of the people who play games in the entire planet are male. I'd say maybe it might even be more than that. You know, a lot anyway. I'm not including we here, by the way. I'm just including proper formats. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a baiting comment. If I've no, I mean, I mean formats that you know, like the we skewed the stick to your guns, yeah, Tim. Proper formats. Yeah. Stick to your guns. Um, and 
Tomb Raider, for example, built its whole reputation mm-hmm. on titillation. On titillation. Yeah. Yeah. If it's good enough for Lara, it's good enough for anybody. That it works. I mean. You know, Wet's got its gimmicks, but essentially it's a slightly better looking, slightly better version of Stranglehold, possibly. You know, you squeeze a little bit of titillation there, you've just increased your audience, I guarantee you. Yeah. I'll say if it's good enough, if, if Lara can run around in the Antarctic in a bikini, then so can Ruby Wasserface. Yeah. I mean, personally, I'm, I'm pleased that there isn't titillation, because I think if it came out and it was just her saying, oh, look at my jugs and well, stuff, we'd all be <laughs> sighing and puffing and saying it's irony. unnecessary. We're, we're both saying, we, you know, when Tim and I are saying it, that's what we need it. If, we, when I re, if I were to review that game, I would we'd comment bluff. on the needless titillation. Yeah. Guaranteed. But at the same time, from Bethesda's it's an effective it weapon it. for you know, getting the game into as many hands as possible. Yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking saying it's right. All I'm saying is that when that comes out to, as you say, Mike, as to marketing it and PR in it, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to sell mm. it to blokes when you've got a pair of good giant jugs on the and cover. Bear in mind, all of the early shots of the game were this chick looking like she's just got out of the frigging sack. She's mm. got this bed hair with a greasy chest and uh, the tightest top in the world and a pair of jeans that have been basically waxed onto her body. Mm. Like... It wasn't like the initial art wasn't no. intended for titillation, you know? I still think they nuts are going to get Vicky Blues to dress up as a come-release day. Hey, look, they got Vicky they Blues to dress up as Nero from Devil May Cry, so... <laughs> and they got Vicky Blues in Dirt 2, unfortunately, as well, in the actual the official trailer. The named Dirt. Um, so, yeah, we saw that, and Wet's definitely looking better than Stronghold did. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be, you know, a, a brilliant, a gold star winning game at all, but uh, <laughs> it, it should be fun. You know, it's got... Like I say, a few variations on the normal Stranglehold gameplay. Um, and the final thing we saw was Fallout New Vegas, or rather, we were told in one sentence that Fallout New Vegas is, is being made by Tell the folks at Obsidian. And then, and then some guy Twittered it, right? Yeah. And, and then we, we be told there was an embargo on it. We were, we were told, um, right, there's this game coming out. Now, I'll be honest, I, I nearly got confused by it. So I have a little bit of sympathy for the guy because I texted him straight away and then I had to text him again saying, by the way, there's an embargo. But we were told about... Fallout 3, sorry, Fallout New Vegas, it's coming, it's being made by Obsidian, and that's all we've been told. There's an embargo in place, guys, so don't tell anyone until 3pm GMT the next day. Only, as soon as as Pete said Fallout's being made, someone had twittered it on his phone, or someone had told um, Mm. the guy who, who eventually broke it. And then five minutes later, they they called it. (laughs) Five minutes later, they called us all together and said, "By the way, guys, change your plan. It's out on the net. Everyone knows. Go and tell everyone." (laughs) So, um, strange old decision that. Obsidian, Obsidian. giving Fallout to. I mean, Obsidian. Don't get me wrong. I mean, like Kotor Two was all right. You know, I'm not a big RPG fan, but amongst RPG fans, I I believe that it's. uh, Sits quite nicely, you know, but it wasn't as good as the first one. But then they had. Bioware sort of tech and sort of engine to work with, you know. I don't know about Neverwinter Nights, never played those sort of games, but... It's quite again, divisive, Neverwinter Nights. Yeah, a lot of people are like, ex-Xbox World Deadhead Rob Taylor loves it, thinks Neverwinter Nights 2 is mm. brilliant, but um, a lot of people hate it. And it's the same with KOTOR 2, you know. But we can only go, you know, on Obsidian's, what we've seen on Obsidian's later stuff to get an idea of what Fallout New Vegas is going to be like, and... Oh, for Protocol, man, alive. That looks like one Blando game. It's very small on Blando. It Blando Corizian. Blando Corizian. I think the, yeah. re- the thing is, though, they the Fallout potential, you know, is is huge. A lot of people got into Fallout, and they can't really afford to tie 
the the main Bethesda team into another Fallout game so quickly off the back of three. Yeah, I sort of see the reasoning behind that, but I do think it's strange. Bethesda have got two massive IPs, Fallout now and Elder Scrolls. Which and they're just, bound to be doing the next one. Yeah, they're bound to be doing That's the what their A team will be working yeah, on right absolutely. now. And they'll have another team prototyping something probably. But it just seems strange. I just think it's strange sort of floating you know, pushing pushing your your IP out so soon after you've mm. I mean, I know Bungie have done it now. Etc. Etc. But I mean, Bungie have been working on Halo for what eight years? Was it how long? God, they, they, nine years. Look at when it was announced. It was nineteen ninety nine. It was announced. Yeah, ten years. Probably over ten years. You know, whereas Bethesda recently got the Fallout stuff. They probably mm. dev'd it for like two and a half years, and now it's been farmed out to a. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just keeping an extra close eye on them. Maybe Obsidian, we can trust Obsidian because they've got all Bethesda's tech. And of course, they're working with Splash Damage as well. I mean, who, who would be surprised if Splash Damage produced a shooter set in the Fallout world or something, you know? Yeah, that was the other thing. It was set in London and obviously Splash Damage. Are they, are they London or are they they're Oxford? Definitely British, well, they're I definitely British. They're definitely based in Britain. I think they might be Oxford, it, one or the other. You, you would expect those guys to be at the London event. I mean, the only reason to bring them to London, bring people to London at all, surely, is to show them a British produced well, game. Well, I reckon that was the original plan. I don't know, like, I'm only inferring from what um, Pete said uh, the actual day, but he said something like, oh, we, we have got it, but we're holding back the, um, the news on that for a little bit. So I think we'll probably see something at E3 on the splash damage front. That's either because they got something that looks brilliant or something which looks awful. Mm. We'll see. But Rogue Warrior showed up, so... Yeah. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> so, Mike, you... Uh you went to CEA's Yeah, I went to EA's um, Gamers Day. There were no surprises at the event, unlike Matt's. Um, the big surprise was Dante's Inferno coming to PSP, which, of course, is going to be part of the big PSP relaunch later this year. Everyone's speculating on like this new new PSP, which Sony may or may not show at E3. Personally, I think it's pretty much 100% guaranteed at this point, because why else would Sony be throwing money at every developer on the planet to yeah, well, bring... they got to do something. Why on. would EA bring Rock Band and Dante's Inferno to a console like the PSP, which is effectively finished. Yeah. Assassin's Creed 2 from Assassin's Ubisoft. Assassin's Creed 2 from Ubisoft. Loads of their own first-party stuff. Little Big Planet, uh, MotorStorm, big-name stuff, all coming to PSP all at once, all around October time, September time. And Dante's Inferno is coming actually like early next year. The only reason you would do that is because you're expecting a sudden spike in PSP sales, a big spike and because Sony are saying, please make some games for our new console, you know? It's going to be effectively a relaunch for the machine, which could be good. I mean, we looked at um, the sales figures on GTA for the uh, DS this week. They were embarrassing, man. Mm. Single-handedly, in my, in, in my opinion, GTA has just killed the DS. Mm. If the biggest developer in Britain, one of the biggest developers in the Western world, can take the biggest gaming brand in the Western world and put it on the biggest selling console in the Western world, and not sell a bean, then why would any developer mm. want to produce any expensive, high-quality game for the DS when you can produce some Chateau La brain training yeah. and easily make your money back and hopefully make a profit mm. with, with the same number of sales? It's embarrassing for, for Nintendo and the DS, I think you mean, rather than Rockstar. Because, I mean, Ro oh, yes, Rockstar made a great game there. That is yeah, a really yeah. good GTA and that's, game. And that's the craziest part. It's, um, look at Metacritic averages. It's the highest-scoring game on the system. Mm. There is no... There's no metric that Nintendo can throw at this to say that it's anything other than abject failure for the DS fan base, essentially. It's, mm. it's, I mean, it just demonstrates the DS fan base is so different to the conventional gaming fan base that you can't sell the best, what has been unanimously decided, the best game on the system with the biggest brand on the system to 
DS gamers. It's an absolute tragedy. And, and imagine how many more of that game would have sold on PSP. Well, you know, it's not, it's not that surprising because it's happening with Wii as well. I mean, I've sounded off on the podcast before about this. I mean, what is the point in making oh, Mad, World for, Mad World for Wii? And, and there's any hope that Wii's got of getting its own GTA now are surely lost. Yeah. Unless it's already yeah. almost finished and it's been shown at E3, then it's almost completely gone. I, I mean, Sega must have been save, saving face when they said they were pleased with Mad, Fil- Mad World's figures. Uh, sales figures on uh, on Wii. I mean, they were rubbish. Well, I I that, it's the same as Nintendo rubbish. saying about you know GTA. Oh, it was well in line with projections. Well, whoever projected that wasn't working at Rockstar. Yeah, it was, it was rubbish. And if if Sega re- re- released Mad World on uh, 360 or PS3, they sold bundles. We yeah. sold shit shitloads of copies. And the DS is a great little machine, and we, I want more games like Chinatown Wars. I played Chinatown Wars on my flight over to Sweden, and all the way back as well. What a great great game it is. I want more games like that on my DS, and I think now you're not going to get them. You're going to get a few more which like have been in production already, You know, a few more games like that coming out from different studios. But I think most of you are going to be terrified of releasing anything yeah. on that system now. It's too random. It's a lottery. Mm. You release a game on that system, and you just never know what you're going to get. It's a problem for Sony, though, because, because DS has very much found its kind of... Found its, well, it's not even a niche because it's so mass market now, but you, you, you know what I mean. It just really, you know, you just get these brain training games, all that sort of shit. And then on PSP, um, they're they're relaunching it with these very specialised games yeah. and stuff. But why would you get those games on your PSP when you can get them on your PS3? Well, the thing with the PSP, I think, is that they are effective. They are going to be effectively, you know, it's a real console in your hand, a big console in your hand. And since the new PSP is going to be, you know, very different, it's going to be. Presumably, and this is all speculation, but it's speculation based on things we're hearing buzzing around. It would be a hard drive-based machine, or at least a flash storage-based machine. So you you buy everything from this online shop. So you're immediately aiming it towards a very different consumer. It's not the kind of consumer who walks into game and buys a copy of a game. It's not the kind of consumer who's buying games from Play.com. It's the kind of consumer who wants instant entertainment. The people who are into iTunes and people who are, you know, doing that, who sort of download movies and so on. These are, this is a tech-savvy audience immediately, and they want high-end tech devices. You, the, the PSP is actually looking kind of old now. When it was first released, it looked so cool, so futuristic, and that looks kind of old, kind of clunky. In the meantime, Nintendo have reinvented the DSD you know, twice over. The PSP has only been slimmed down to once. There is a new model of the machine, the 3000, but honestly, it doesn't... Well, it's that's only, it's done has up the screen. <laughs> yeah, it just messed the screen up with that. It's um, a system... Which, with a really nice update, with like you know, lovely iPhone-style screens and maybe even a touchscreen of its own, two analog sticks, nice sliding case, and so on, that could really capture the um, the kind of tech-savvy consumers' audience, and they're the kind of people who'd be likely to play the high-end games. Here's my problem with PSP. Picking up on Tim's fact, and it's not that I'm a PSP hater because I bought my PSP on launch and I bought a white slimline PSP when that came out, so I have two of them. I barely play either. I'm ashamed to say. It's that. I don't know when to play it. Like when I'm at home, I don't want to sit at home, no. curled up on my couch with a, my PSP, playing Metal Gear, Portable Ops, or any of the other Silent Hill Origins. When I've got my 360, my PS3, and my Wii um, sat under my television, I don't see the point. You know, I don't have. I have a 20-minute train ride to work and back. I don't want to lug a PSP around with me all the time. I, I take my DS, I, I read my copy of Metro or New Scientist or whatever on the way, maybe stick on Chrono Trigger on the way back on my DS. You can't. The trouble with game, the ca- games on PSP is that 
they're not bite-sized games. I can't jump into a game for, you know, 10 minutes on the, on the train when I get a seat and, and get stuck into God of War because you need to play it longer than, you know, 10-minute increments. Mm. The games on, on that console are designed to be played, it, I think, sitting down in front of a big TV. Yeah, and it doesn't sound like that's about to change either. No, I don't think it is. Not from the, If you look at the games that are coming, they are, you know, big console mm. games. At the, same, at the same time, a lot of developers took a really interesting approach to the PSP, which was to make big games bite-sized. Like they did that with Wipeout Pure and Wipeout Pulse. You make it so, you know, you have these events which are just, you know, which will last you five minutes, will last you ten minutes, then you can save and then turn it off and come back later. And those are great games. Ridge Racer, of course, did it brilliantly by, you could actually enter how long you had to play. Say you had half an hour train journey, but it would produce a tournament for you that was half an hour long mm. of, like, you know, randomly selected events. Which is a really, really good way yeah, to play it. Idea, it's yeah. really great. It's, it's ideas like that which will make the system. I think also that the next big line of the next PSP will be much more closely related to the PS3 to the extent that if you have a PS3 and a PSP, you'll probably be able to con- just wirelessly connect your PSP to the, your, your PS3 and use your PS3 as the hub which displays the game on the big screen. Mm. So you can just sit with your PSP in your hand playing away on the big screen without all the need for the cables which they've got at the moment and so on. Just nice Game Boy style. Yeah, I think. Remember when you could uh, plug in your Super Game Boy? Yeah, Super Game yeah, Boy. I yeah, I think I think there's going to be a, a lot of um, a lot of interoperability between the two. Of course, there's not as many PS3s in homes as they would want. There's not as many PSPs in homes as they would want. I think. I mean, I love so many games on the PSP, but like Matt, I have the same problem. I never really know when I play it, mm. and in truth, the only time it ever really gets played is on the can. On the can. So this Dan- event, Dante's Inferno. Yeah, you yeah, were saying about that. It's not very good. Right. Sorry. That's disappointing. Yeah, it's... um. Well, to... to what day is this podcast going up? Uh, next Friday. Next Friday. I'm playing Bayonetta yesterday, folks. I, yesterday I played Bayonetta, which is the first hands-on in the world. Uh, I think it's us and a, a very small few other print journalists. No online guys, but it's... it's we played... You know, it's the first hands-on. Uh, Hideki Kamei is actually coming over to the UK. He's probably here as we speak or possibly flying home. That's very likely going to be a very good game. We've seen a lot of it. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it. I have, as I'm recording this, had my hands on Dante's Inferno. And the two are going to be entering into the same market. And the scariest part is that some market is going to have three very similar games in. God of War, Bayonetta, and bear with me on this, and uh, Dante's Inferno. Two of those are going to be excellent. We know that. God of War is going to be a great game. I mean, the first two are brilliant. It's a very different team on this one, but it looks incredible. We, we, we know people mm-hmm. who've been up to see it, and it's like, oh, it just blows them away. Bayonetta is, look at the pedigree on that game. There's no way it can't be great. Dante's Inferno. Now, it's got a good team, but it, it's, not all, it's not in any way all of the Dead Space team. A lot of those guys are off doing other things and so on. But this is a game which so desperately wants to be God of War. It, it, it actually is God of War but not so good in every possible way. It looks like God of War. It uses the same fixed camera, which stays quite far from the action, so you'll run into the screen, and the camera will just sort of follow you and so on. You'll have these giant monsters which you can you know, jump on and climb over, and you'll use the, um, you know, the quick-time events to take them down. You have bosses which you'll slam your scythe into, which is Death's scythe. You'll slam your, into his head, drag him down to your level, you know, trap his, like, his tongue on this big twisting cog, and then like, you know, hack him over and over again. And you do that, of course, with quick time events and so on. 
when you break a pot, you collect red and green orbs, which was started in Devil May Cry, but every you know fighting game since has picked up on that. You'll have you can hold the button to launch guys in the air and hack away at them. You can you've got the say that even the button layouts are almost the same. You'll open chests, so they're not chests; they're like these demon things. But you know you hold your you hold your cross. They'll look at the cross and you'll raise it up in the air to make them open up. And to do that, you'll hammer on the button the same way you would if you were opening a chest in God of War. The only thing I think it introduced, which I thought was really interesting, are the doors in the game, which are demons. And the doors are at, you actually have to kill the doors to get through them. So you go up to the door, slam your 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 blade into them, and then like drag them up. Right. It's very violent. Looks exactly like a God of War to the point that Sony are, have got to have been chatting to, to solicitors about it. I think right. it looks so similar. I don't think there's going to be any case there because so many of the things it uses are just common to all mm. fighting, you know, action fighting games since Devil May Cry. But visually, it looks just like it. They've used the license, you know, not the license, but the the source material very nicely. You've got you know nine circles of hell. And each one, each of your line levels, and each one is very much different. So it's like, you know, uh, you begin in limbo and you move through and it's like lust and, you know, greed and so on. And you'll be taking on villains which reflect those sins. I, they're going to have more problems than they're aware. And I've already, I've already had this discussion at the event. I was chatting to one of the guys who's working on the game and, or at least one of those who was representing the game at the event. And I said, um, so I'm, at the moment, I'm fighting an army of unbaptized babies, aren't I? And he was like, yes. You are. Oh, no. He said in because in Dante's Inferno, you know, yeah, by yeah, by Christian, you know, by the Bible, unbaptized babies go to hell, and you fight unbaptized babies, and you can decapitate them, and they look like babies. And I said to him, I said, you guys are going to have a you know, a lot of problems. He said, yeah, I think the unbaptized babies are probably the uh, the the worst in inverted commas thing in the game. But I and he, but he said, you know, there's, there's a lot of things. I said, it's very much it is a Christian version of you know of hell he's like yeah obviously you can't do dante's inferno without it being a christian version of hell so what about you know other religions you think it's going to sort of exclude certain people and so on he was like well you know we hope not you know we hope this is like it's a very much a universal version of hell and i was looking at it i was like this is no universal version this is a christian hell well if they base on dante's inferno then Mm -hmm. it's a very catholic version of of hell of course and it's funny how much the Catholic version of hell looks very much like God of War's version of hell, right down to clawing your way out along with these giant grasping seas of like hands and stuff. Um, they've know, actually made, they've, done, they've made some interesting interpretations of Dante's Inferno, though. Sorry, Matt. They have made some very interesting interpretations, like the ferryman. They figure so many more people, you know, on Earth than any one ferryman could paddle to could paddle across, you know, to the the Elysian Fields. Yeah, yeah. That now the ferryman is actually a giant. And he carries his entire body is like, you know, this boat, this ferry. His back is this big, huge, he's a hunched man. And everyone rides on his back right. across the river. And so you have a fight on his back while you're going along. You're not fighting him. You're fighting these guys trying to get into hell. And as it stands, I found the game quite difficult. Although I did beat the boss first time, which I was told was an impressive feat, but it didn't feel that way. I couldn't get through the waves of guys before it, though. It's, it's quite a tough game, mm. but... Look, if you like God of War, then it's yeah, you're gonna like this. Why wouldn't you? But it's in every way uh, an inferior version of God of War. You know what this sounds like? Earlier on today in the office, we were all um, chuckling at. There's a very popular YouTube video that's um, that showcases how Disney make them have made some of their movies in the past, specifically Robin Hood. Um, you should you should try and find it on YouTube. It's pretty pretty easy to find. Um, 
And what they do, they, they take some, or in the past at least, they've taken some of their old films and then they'll draw over that film only with like the different characters. So what you'll have, you'll have Cinderella, um, no, not Cinderella, Snow White dancing, mm. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And then you'll compare that to the Robin Hood version. And who is it? Maid Marian in that. Mm-hmm. And it's and identical. And in the Jungle Book, for instance, and mm. that'll be the same as the Big Bear guy. Exactly. And they are identical. Apart from, you know, the costumes and the faces, scene for scene, it's, like the characters in the same place, they are identical. And it's, it's, not sounds just like like a, it's not just like a footstep or two, it's entire scenes. Mm. Big chunks. It sounds like basically they've sat down with God of War and they said, right, God of War has chests. By the way, just to confirm, we're not saying they did that. Mm. We're not saying that this is the case. But it just seems like they've sat down and said, right, God of War has chess where you hammer X or whatever. What's our version? Oh, our version of these demon things. But we can't open them. Let's have a cross, you know. And that's how they've yeah. they've approached every angle and the, said, this is our version. The thing so, is, as we've always said with Dante's Inferno, you know, I mean, if they copy God of War, but they make a brilliant job of it, then oh, that, that's all right for 360 because yeah. we we'll never well, get God of War. Well, look at uh, Gears of War. And Cliffy B sits there openly and says, yeah, we copied Resident Evil and Kill Switch. Yeah. We copied Resident Evil 4 and Kill Switch, and, and we made we took our own twist on it. Mm. And Gears of War is a great game. If they were to copy, if they were to do a lift of Gears of War and make it brilliant, fantastic. Mm. It's exactly what we want. That's brilliant. It'd be lovely on the 360. Yeah, because we're not going to get God of War, so I wouldn't be adverse to getting a good version of God of War. I, I think its biggest problem, apart from the fact that maybe it's not looking that great at the moment, is 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 how the hell do you even market that? I with, mean, with with, um, with dead babies attacking you. <laughs> That's just. But I, I'm telling you, they, they're not going to need to market it. The, the headlines in the Daily Mail do all the yeah. I mean, I remember playing. I remember getting Metal Gear Solid. I was playing um, the Silent Hill demo that came free with that. And at the time, I don't know, I was maybe about 13 or something. I was really freaked out by it because you were let loose in a school. You were given a lead pipe, and there were what I can only describe to be skinless babies with knives stabbing at your shins. Now, by the end of it uh, when the final game came out they they swapped out those enemies for like these little hairy critters which were much more i won't say family friendly but you know they were they were much less controversial definitely safer with i mean what you've just described mike sounds horrific and there's no no justification i think it could ever please people Uh, when they hear that listen it pleases the lord our god so it's it's, let's, let's see what happens i'm i'm dead against that yeah, I don't like I don't like that at all. No, it, 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 it isn't, it's not. I would say you could argue it's in poor taste. The fact is, it's it's there in the source material. Well, the thing is, what you got to remember is the source material is seven hundred years old. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about basically middle aged source material here, and at yeah. that time, they, that's what they believed, you know. Yeah. And I think it's. But I, I'm dead against all that. Hey, I think as I, as I anything said, to do with kids, count me out of that. Yeah. As I said, they—they're not going to need to market that game because the the headlines are going to market it for them. So what else did you play then? I played Fight Night Round Four. Oh yeah, which is as good as you'd expect. They've taken out. Uh, some people may be surprised to find they've taken out a lot of the old control options. You can't, um, you know, fight on the buttons anymore. It's only on the stick, and the reason they did that was to equal to playing, you know, the the, the field online. Which is smart because online, you even if you really liked using the right stick to swing punches, you had to switch the buttons online because everyone else would be so much faster than you. Game itself is faster; it looks beautiful, and best of all, now you can do the photo game face, so you can put your oh, own yeah, face in the game, which will get bashed up and swollen. It's as good as Tiger Woods System from because that was heard. one of the best things about Face Breaker. You know, EA's last big boxing last boxing game yeah. that sadly wasn't very good but the face uh, the face photo game face feature was, was really good and it's brilliant in Tiger Woods as well it's like you know we've mapped my face to it we mapped 
We even did a version of Angelina Jolie into the, into this game, and it looked not perfect, but enough like them straight away that you were like, oh, I recognize who I know who that is, and I know you know what they are. Well, now you can take anyone's face you want, stick it on the guy in the game, and it's good, you know it's going to be good to go. And the effects are going to be, I have no doubt, it'll be absolutely impressive. They weren't demoing that at the event. They were just demoing the boxing system and changed a few things. For example, the, um, the, right, the right stick controls are different now. You can switch to the old Fight Night Round 3 fight stick controls. But the new ones are better anyway. I mean, they're much more accurate, much easier to use. I played Tyson. The, the, the dude demoing it played Ali. Absolutely punched my face off. He's like, I hope you enjoy my game, dude. <laughs> That's good. I like, I hate when you go to an event and you play someone who's representing it and they're all like slapping you on the back no, there. They're Bullshit. deliberately losing. No. Bullshit. No, it's like I, did, I didn't get to swing a punch. This guy was so, was, this guy mastered the game. I remember when we went to see Frontlines last year, last, no, not last year, the year before. And halfway through the event, um, one of the uh, guys from THQ got on the phone because we were actually playing against the test team in uh, New York we were in Vegas and they were play we were playing a test team in New York and you'd spawn and you'd die you'd spawn <laughs> and you'd die again and he got, the guy got on the phone and I could see him and he was just chatting he was like listen just just, you know, just go, go a little bit go a little <laughs> bit easier on him for God's sakes it's like I'm happy to play the programmers because the programmers generally about as, are about as good at games as we are mm. the test team a, a team which play the game eight hours a day for 12 months I'm not. I'm not playing those guys, man. That that is. That's just asking for trouble. Oh, it's like when I went over to see SmackDown game last year, and I was playing. I don't know one of the dev team, and it was very clear that a lot of people going into that event maybe haven't quite put in the time with SmackDown. And if you if you've ever played a SmackDown game, you'll know that there are a lot of buttons, a lot of like context sensitive moves, a lot of things you can do. And it's a series I've played for the for all ten of them. You know, from ten years back. It's rubbish. So uh, it's not rubbish. It's good. So, like, <laughs> so the so the devs were going in, being very gentle, shall we say, with everyone else. I went in there, wiped the floor with him, and he was like, "Oh man!" So he's like, "Right, I'm going to get you this time. I'm going to bring my game." Oh no, he didn't. <laughs> but yeah, that's I, good. I, that's I good beat, when uh, they don't hold back. Though. And again, as we said on the podcast before, I beat Street Fighter's creator uh, at Street Fighter Four, and then I went over to the, the Capcom's PR man. I said, "Oh yeah, I just beat uh, I just beat uh, Yoshihiro, you know, Yoshinori, Yoshinori Ono at um, Street Fighter 4. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, that's great, man. Did you think he let me win? He was like, no, he's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you saw... Fight Night. I've saw a new Tiger Woods, which doesn't appear to have changed even slightly. Of course it hasn't. It's, but it's, got, it's got a new padding system. Need for Speed's brilliant. We spoke yeah. about it on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've saw one new track, so there's not a lot of new to report. They've tweaked the physics a little bit. Still feels brilliant. This is, this is Need for Speed Shift, by the way. Mm. Need for Speed Nitro on the Wii looks shocking. <laughs> <laughs> looks disgusting. It looks vile. Does it look like the original Outrun? Well, the guy came on stage and he said, you know, we were really insistent. It had to run at 60 frames a second. I was sitting there watching. I was thinking, man, if you made it run at 30, you might be able to make it look good. Mm. Like, that game, it doesn't look as good, even close to as good, as Burnout 2 on the GameCube. Which was a plenty good-looking game, and it all he had to do was shoot for that. It doesn't look even close to as good as that. I don't know what's happening there. It's the, it's the brownest, brownest, brownest game. It might have just been the area they were showing, uh, with some very questionable design, you know, design choices. All of the cars have been beefed up and so on. And as you go along, your emblem actually gets put onto the world. So you'll be along and like walls will be displaying your emblem if you're in first place. Or maybe the sun, you know, the sun in the distance will have, you know, the sky will be lit up with your emblem and so on. Right. 
it's it looks it's a fun, it's a pretty fun game though, but it looks hideous. But Shift though, Shift is great. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's just great. It um it feels more like a successor to um to almost to Gotham than it does to to Forza. Right. But it's leaning more towards the sim side of Forza. Uh, it's really hard to explain why, but it's it's more arcadey than Forza, less arcadey than Project Gotham, right. but very much inhabits Race Driver Grid's world. Okay. So it's kind of like it's taken very good bits of all of these different games, and with like loads of EA money thrown at it. So it cool. looks like it looks like an expensive game. I think. Well, if we talk about Shift, you know, from one. Uh from one sim to what we kind of expected would be another. It's just worth mentioning about Bizarre's next project, which is Blur, which is yeah, bizarre shout, for them. Yeah, yeah Blur. Um, I'm Mr. Gotham. I think we said this again. To, we might be echoing loads of stuff. And this is both Gothams. This is Batman and uh, and Project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this, um, um, well. This is and this is all of the Project Gothams as well. I mean, back on the uh, Xbox, I play, I play Project Project Gotham too because I was um, sadly unemployed at the time. So I would uh, I would turn on Project Gotham 2 at like, I don't know, 9 o'clock at night, roll into bed at like 5 a.m. in the morning and just be like, you know, just yawning, get into bed and roll out of bed at 2 in the afternoon, the way you do when you're unemployed. And I played a lot of Gotham during that time. And I can't rely on the in-game clock because as anyone who plays Gotham 2 extensively like I did will know, the clock in Gotham 2 was broken. It ran too fast, sometimes too slow at other times. So I don't know how long I spent on the game, but it was a, it was a stupid amount of time. So I love Gotham. Gotham 3 was had its problems, most notably ridiculous load times and only one class of car. But Gotham 4 was a return to form. None of them have been quite as good as Gotham 2. And, of course, the sales have declined. Gotham 2 was the peak of the series, and Gotham 3 sold well. Gotham 4 didn't sell at all. Now, I think they might be looking and reading into it in perhaps the wrong way. The reason it didn't sell was because it was released 10 days after Halo 3, not because it wasn't a good game. Mm. But... Nonetheless, I think it's shaken their confidence a little. And instead of uh, a Project Gotham, obviously under a different name because they're with Activision now, instead of a Project Gotham 5, what we're getting is... Split Second. Split Second, Split Second 2. Yeah. Comes yeah, with so follow. You got, it's a race game like which will, I would presume would use a handling model quite similar to Gotham. I would presume, but they'd have to make it more arcadey because there's no way you could handle all of the lightning attacks and landmines and energy uh, refills in yeah, you know, in Gotham because Gotham's too, you're concentrating on too much in Gotham just driving straight. Um, I'm not sure I like it. It's bizarro. No. It's just bizarro. I, I don't, I don't think I like it. Well, we should expect this from Bizarro, though. I mean, who would have anticipated the club? Yeah. Maybe we should ex- maybe we should expect madness from these guys. I mean, the thing is, I'm really looking really looking forward to Split Second. I went over and, and saw it. Uh, saw it in action when it was demo to us for the first time, and at least for that. Like the you you can destroy the scenery and stuff, but it's very it's very reined in. You're driving around and a reticule all up here, and you either press a button or you don't. And if you do, something will happen that will impact on the track. Um, it's, there, not like, it's not Mario Kart style rockets. No, no. In fact, there was actually a, a very small but very important typo in in the feature that we did. Uh, we said that you know, sadly, it's not like you know, Mario and Full Auto. In actual fact, we didn't mean that. We meant to say that we, we're glad it wasn't, you know, Mario or Full Auto because as soon as you start sticking machine guns to the car and stuff, I think it all goes completely off the rails, yeah. completely wrong. Guns on cars in any game, always bad. So Including so Blur, the brilliant Wipeout. Wipeout is so much better if you turn all the weapons off. So with Blur, where you can, you know, drop mines and stuff, I think they've gone too far down the repen- weapons route to make it, you know, from exciting to just a bit, I don't know, just... A bit annoying, really. It reminds me of um, Full Auto. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was shat. Any game where you stick cars, guns on the cars always ends up bad. I mean, the, 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 one which, the only one you could say was, this turned out okay is Twisted Metal. And like man, I would rather I'd rather scrape my friggin' self roll. I'd rather <laughs> the, than <laughs> insert some twisted metal than play yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather insert insert something in myself than play twisted metal. I think the one the one thing they're trying to uh, accomplish with this is this kind of Facebook kind of sort of well sharing. This is what I didn't me, really understand it. I've this got is admit, what gives but. me faith about the game. We actually chatted to Bizarre for a feature in our latest issue, which people can read right now. Because Bizarre were a launch day developer, and we were chatting to um, the one of the guys who works on Gotham Three, a big launch game, and no doubt he's one of their big designers. So no doubt he'll, no doubt he'll be working on Blur. And he said, "I said to him, well, you know, why didn't Gotham TV work? Why didn't these million dollar tournaments ever happen?" And he said, "Well, what, I don't care about the best player in the world. I don't care. So it's like if I, uh, if, you, if I said if I were to send you a video of my daughter at her first birthday party right now, you wouldn't care." If I send it to my sister, it's the most exciting thing she's seen mm. all week. I don't care what the best player in the world does. I'm never going to be at that level. I, I'm never going to be driving at that level. I like Gotham, but I'm never going to be that good. But the time that Matt's just recorded, that's interesting. So if I'm playing the race and all of a sudden it says, you know, Matt's also playing this race, I'll be like, oh, he's got this lap time. Well, I can beat that. And then you push forward. And that's what they did with Geometry Wars 2. Whenever you're going for a high score in that game, the next high score displayed in the top of the screen is the person who's ahead of you on your friends list. So you're always chasing someone you know. That's the point. You're always chasing someone who you're already friendly with, who you already care about. You're always competing against the best scores of your friends, not the best scores in the world. And that's always something to chase. Because against the best guy in the world, even if you beat him, you've got no real bragging rights because you're never going to meet him. But when you go and see your friend at the pub and you, know, you say, oh, yeah, you're just chatting or something, you say, oh, man, you better get in practice. I just beat your score last night, you know? Mm. Just offhand, it's like that's... That's more fun. What they did in in yeah in Geom Wars too to have it on the main menu of the game yeah. that was just incredible. It's so you know amazingly different from everything else because but usually before that you'd have a special a separate leaderboards yeah a separate um, screen option you have to cycle you go through into, and it'll load it up it and then usually it would be like oh here's the top in the world press Y to go to your friends list and it's all tucked away they do this with like Guitar Hero and stuff really tucked away to see where you know how your friends are doing. Whereas with Geometry Wars, that was the game. The whole game mm. was beat your friends. And that's if they bring that into Blur, you know, I can I think I Bizarre can see. really understand the community side of things now. And they understand it because they know they made mistakes. And they know exactly what they have to do. So if nothing else, I think it could end up being one of the best online races around. But what I would love is if they just, on the, in, in the online game, they just made a concession to us old Gotham guys and just said... With weapons, without weapons. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can just choose two completely different playlists. One where you can play with, like, you know, all the Mario Kart attacks, and one where you just play. Uh, they might do. You know, we, don't, we yeah. don't know enough about the game yet, but I wouldn't have thought so. Well, I think we'll, if, they're, we'll if they're nailing the whole weapons thing to the mass, then they've got, they got to kind of stick by it, I think. Yeah, which sucks. Yeah. Should we have some questions then, Pallet? Yeah, the, one, one last point about Blur. What is it with racing games now needing to be one single four-letter word? What's the deal with that? Dirt, grid, fuel, blur, Pure. shit. <laughs> I don't get it. Split seconds, the only one that's different. Sh- shit is that, that w- I wouldn't buy that game. No, nah, it's not no, really it good. No, it very good. When, when, you know what I was saying about like, I would rather basically like, scrape myself with some Twisted Metal than play Twisted Metal? Mm. I saw, when I went, I went cycling last weekend all over Bristol, 
we went to uh, Ashton Court and there was a guy, anyone who knows Ashton Court will know it's quite hilly, it's quite, you've also got these paths, and there was this guy on this big ass skateboard, one of those like big long torpedo shaped ones, yeah. going down a hill, it must have been going 40 miles an hour, like going straight over the hill, oh, and my, you know, at such a speed, um, you know, it was incredible. no helmet, this guy was going like a missile, it was ridiculous, it would have scared me on my bike, if, you know, let alone be on a skateboard. And my mate said to me, he said, I'll give you £10 right now to just start walking across that track as if you're the only person in the world <laughs> as, he's coming, as he's coming down towards you. You just like stroll out, just like, la, la, la. So, and so he's like, he's, he, if he came off that thing, he would literally just have no skin. <laughs> Head to toe, you would like, you'd turn the corner and just see a long red streak, streak from like starting here 300 meters later, the streak will end. There will just be a completely naked man. There. It was just like muscle. Yeah. Inside out man. Yeah, literally inside out man. Just this, just this, this, this bone wrapped in muscle lying on the floor just going, oh, help me. My skin. I'm badly scraped. Uh, right, SD Downs gives his first question. He wants to know, what do we know about the new Formula One games? Well, Codemasters are working on them. They've got uh, we. And the PSP one, which is out, which are out later this year. Then they've Ooh, got PSP again. Then they've got 360 and PS3 version, which is coming out 2010. That's the ones I'll be spending the most money yeah. on, which is why it's taking so long. I mean, they have to. They're probably, they're probably going to co-op the, um, the the same engine they use for all of their racing games, which is a great engine. Good mm. stuff. And spending lots and lots and lots of time and money on it. I mean, it takes longer to make a 360 game than a Wii PSP game. Mm. Tell you what, though, Mike, you watch Formula One as well. Three races in as we record. Pretty exciting season so far. This has been a great season. One of the best Formula 1 seasons I've seen in a while. But I know a lot of people will disagree, but it's been a, a season of thrills and spills, in my opinion. I'm and loving it. For me, more than anything, it's been because, it's because I've been watching Hamilton more than anything. And he's been racing his pants off in that frigging milk float of his. Like, I mean, he's driving just the worst imaginable car, but he is still doing so good in that thing. And once they, you know, they get up to the same level as, as Button's team, then he's going to be easily wiping the floor with everybody else in the race. Once again, as he should. That guy is a future, Senna, Mansell, you name it. He's, he's up there with the best of them. It's been a really interesting season, but man, I wish we could actually get a proper race. A full race. Like we've had one where the safety car was only nine tenths of the, of the thing. One where you were basically needed they sub, stopped submarines. It early. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they might as well been going And then last one, the safety car started it off. Yeah. In, where and, was that, and, and the race was cut short as well. He did fewer laps. We haven't had a proper race this season. I'm looking forward to like you know a really, a really good race. But I'm also looking forward to all the other teams catching up with the Braun team, with uh, with their technology. Red Bull, Red Bull looked good though. I'm really pleased that for Vettel. He's a, he's a great little guy. I think real nice guy and got their first win. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, right, Jay Morris eighty five wants to know what would it take for the mainstream. I think he means like mainstream newspapers and journalists to recognise that video games should be treated with the same level of respect as other forms of entertainment I think on some well, level they yeah, do I mean, celebrities that's what that's the only way because I mean the tabloid press they love celebrities and if you if you have a big movie premiere you can take photos of the premiere and all the stars on the red carpet you can't do that with a video game you know I think the pro there's a couple of problems here. One is that the video game industry is generally very young compared to the movie industry or the music industry. So it's very much at the stage that music found its rock and roll found itself in in the in the 50s and 60s where it's the work of Satan. It's, it's the enemy, yeah. Yeah, um, and films as well at the beginning of the century. You know, what is this witchcraft? 
and that's the same with video games. I think also, you know, a lot of a lot of the newspapers and that kind of thing, they're they're run by people who who just the video games are a total it's, foreign it's concept. It's a generation of, which yeah, didn't it's a generational thing, games. and I think as with a lot of things, it's a case of just waiting for all the old people. You, to die. You, our kids are going to grow up. You mean me? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> our kids. So you and me, Mike, our kids, and then kids uh, pellets age are going to uh, are going to grow up and they're going to know all about yeah. video games and and you know us as parents are going to know all about video games and that's where it really starts to change but unfortunately that's not going to be for another 10 or 15 years I think some of them are trying to accept the stuff like the Wii Fit and you know the Wii and DS they're already they're beginning sort of to accept the that. mass market but it's, I, it's I mean nice. the independent had a story earlier like the top 20 um, Nintendo games from your childhood you know how would your childhood you know be without these games so I, I every it, now and then there are people in there it there are one or two guys who will pound their editors over and over again until they finally get to write something they want to write it is changing but I think that it's you know you are seeing video game pages in, in national well, newspapers which you weren't seeing like what I was you know, 10 say years is, ago what are we looking for in acceptance if we're looking for the same acceptance that movies get in papers well, most of the time, the, movie, the newspapers review movies once a week in half a page. It's like, you know, we, we, and the, most of them cover video games as much as that anyway. Mm. It's not like movies are getting tons more coverage. The only time they get more coverage is, of course, with the celebrity aspect, you know, you know big stars coming to London, whatever. And Nintendo realized that, and then they started banging every celebrity they could find in all of their commercials. It's, you know, that's worked out quite nicely. Not literally them. banging no. them, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, yeah, no, you're right, and... Uh, uh, it will change, and I think I think what he means is like main mains by that he probably, he probably also means like when are the Daily Mail stop going to get their going to get off the back? That's not going to be for a while, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of um, Nintendo's celebrity filled adverts, Louise ain't looking so great, is it? You know what's her name? Louise Redknapp. Louise no, Redknapp. Uh, well, I, think Man, I used to lust right. after that chick back in the day. I used to lust. I hate I hate Jamie Redknapp though. Don't get me started on Jamie Redknapp. <laughs> Just hate him. <laughs> why, do, why do you hate Jamie Redknapp? Because, uh, well... I'm, I like Redders. No, he's massidly biased he's when he does idiot. his... He's uh, an idiot. He's an idiot. He's, um, <laughs> whenever you have a conversation... First of all, this is another thing that annoys me about it. Whenever you have a conversation with a woman about it, it's always like, yeah, but he's so he's really so well-dressed and really nice. I don't give a shit about that. I, I, what annoys me is that he's on Sky TV doing the football, and he is... He, and as an Arsenal fan, this especially annoys me. He hates Arsenal because he, he used to play Chelsea. for Tottenham. He used to play for Tottenham. His cousin plays for Chelsea. His bezzy mates play for Liverpool. So he loves Liverpool His dad and Chelsea. manages Tottenham as His well. His dad he? manages Tottenham. So he hates Arsenal. He absolutely hates Arsenal. But not only that, he never has anything interesting to say. And when he's on the Champions League programme on Sky, he's with these genuine, like, world, who were genuine world-class players like Hullet, uh, Sunis. These are players who have been out and won the biggest trophies in the world. Jamie Redknapp had like 200 games in midfield for Tottenham when they were mid-table. And suddenly he's up on like the biggest football show in, in Britain he talking like he's a massive Liverpool. expert. He was, ca- he was great for us. I don't give a rat's ass. He was ca- captain of Liverpool when you were down in the doldrums in, in Chateau 90s. That's team. why I like him because when I was little, Jamie Redknapp was No, I'm not man. having it. Redknapp is an God, idiot. When I was little, Liverpool was like Ian friggin' Rush. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and those are the glory days, though, you know. And then they then Liverpool were 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 they well, got a bit rubbish when I yeah. started supporting <laughs> average, <laughs> and that's when he played for them. He's never achieved anything, and yet he's heralded as this great. great he's a thing. nice guy. He's an idiot. 
Anyway, finish off. We've got four questions from Flying Penguin 18. Four? Four. Four, four very quick, snappy questions. First one, I don't actually quite understand this question. Right. <laughs> yeah. good the question is, have there, has there ever been a time when you've realised, quote, wow, I have to stop playing this, end quote? I think he means that it's so bad that oh, we don't want to. Or is it... Is it so addictive? So I've been long. playing so much, I have to... Yeah. I think it's so bad. I, I think it's played so much. Yeah, really? Foot, football manager for me. Yeah? Yeah, I think, okay. I think yeah. it's playing so much. Football oh. manager for me, definitely. Um, famously, I'm sure I've told this story in the uh, podcast before, I had to get my wife to hide my copy because I was totally, totally obsessed with it. Up to the point where I, I literally never spoke to her for about three months. I nearly failed my third year at uni because uh, Oblivion came out and I played it for 70 something hours in the first week. And uh, my uh, fiance was on her year abroad, so she couldn't, she couldn't moderate my game time. So I was Wait, living alone, game? Oblivion. Yeah. So, moderate um, your game time. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, sadly. So I had to give my I parents. I think it's time that you finish now, Matthew. <laughs> You've had three hours on this. <laughs> so my parents uh, visited that weekend. I said, Mum, just please take my Xbox cable. I'm going to fail if, I, if mm. I have it any longer. So they took it off. And, yeah, and then, and then I, I, I got through that year and I got stuck into Oblivion again. I nearly failed the next year. I don't have that switch in my head which says it's time to stop. I just don't have it. <laughs> Can't stop. No, I just keep playing until I'm done. Which is what led me to play Gotham until like four, five, six in the yeah. morning every night. I would be, I'd start playing and then it would be, be like dark and then it would be daylight. Mike, would you say the time when you said, wow, I have to stop playing this is when you got the job and then, and then you had to, to? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Having a job meant I kind of had to stop. But at that point, actually, when I, started, when I first started here, I was knee deep in um, Oblivion. And I managed to rack up, I think, like 40 hours on that in seven days, which is what being unemployed will do for you. Yeah. And man, those were, that was a good seven days. That was a good seven days. Right. That's interview prep. <laughs> Second question. Um, do you think the Guitar Hero and Rock Band gimmick has been milked too much? Um, we've actually done a feature on that coming out in the next issue. And the basic gist of the feature is yes. Yeah, I wouldn't go to one about it too much because Matt's feature is really good, and you should definitely read it. But um, but yeah, I think I mean no, I'm not I'm no music games expert, so it's, you're probably better. I think off. of of the office, like I think Mike and Tim, when a music game comes in, you know, neither are, are really into it. I'm the I'm the one guy in the office who who's really into music games, and even I've got to the point where I'm just a bit fed up of it all now. I think. Um, third one. How did you start playing games? Just pick up the pad. Sit down yeah. with a drink. How did you start, Tim? This would be a good one. What was it, 1960? Trying to think, yeah, 1967. Waited around. They started playing, making games. You, you were playing, <laughs> playing on an oscilloscope at that time. I was quite, no, I was quite late to games, actually. I mean, when the first, the first I played a lot of, um, I played a bit on the NES, but the first game that I ever, uh, the first system that I ever owned was an Amiga. So, you know, it's, what but, year are we talking? Oh man, alive! Uh, Come on, Tim, you can. I don't know. Early, eight, late, uh, late eighties, early nineties, I guess. Yeah, how old were you at the time? Uh, about ten, eleven. Yeah, that's about right. So I was quite late. I was quite late. You know, some people start a lot, lot sooner than that. But uh, yeah, the Amiga was great. I love the Amiga. It's just some brilliant, brilliant games on there, and I remember it very fondly. For, for you and uh, Rob Taylor had many a conversation about yeah, you. Yeah, Taylor days. used to be a big Amiga fan like yeah, me. That's because you were that's because you were uh, rich kids. Rich kids. Well, my parents bought my Amiga for me, so because um, yeah, it also it also doubled up. Because the good thing about I don't know whether because spe- I never owned a Specky, so I don't. I'm not really much of a Specky expert, but uh, mm. 
But the Amiga, the good thing about the Amiga was it also had like um, sort of word processing packages on it and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, certainly did as well, but not ones you'd ever want to use. Yeah, like. well, the Amiga ones weren't great, but this was in the days really before kind of PCs really proliferated yeah. homes and stuff. So, you know, being a bit of a writer and starting from early age, I uh, that was also useful for the Amiga. So that's why I love my Amiga so much. Yeah, I vividly remember when I first decided I liked games. I remember playing like, you know, little bits when you're a little kid and stuff. Like showing Pac-Man and that kind of thing. But I remember going on holiday to Butlins in Minehead. Oh man. That's that place strong... is where that place is where ambition goes to die. <laughs> That's a strong holiday. <laughs> but you know, look, we 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 don't like you. I didn't live in Bath. I didn't have a. Hey, we Mike. We have a lot of money. We, we go to free, we didn't summer in Monte Carlo every spring. Let year. me tell you, Mike. I spent some time down in Butlins at Minehead. Let me tell you, yeah. my family took me down there one year. Well, well so we spent all our summers in the what, bleeding could, caravan gapper. Bullshit! I, went, I spent every well, I spent every summer in Breen in a caravan. I went down to Breen in the caravan. You might have been there the same year as me. <laughs> yeah, I know. We probably <laughs> oh were God. down there. Did you own a caravan? Yeah, mum and dad owned a caravan. Ah, see, we had to borrow our caravan. I've also left that. We used to go to New Forest in the caravan. Yeah. Yeah, we, it was my nan's next-door neighbour's caravan. See, not even my nan had the money to get what a caravan. What birth was it? Hmm? What birth was it? Oh, yeah, how many people did it sleep? Uh, there was a double bedroom, and then you could sleep another two on, like, the sofas that were folded out into a bed. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, we had a six-birth one. Oh. But that was only because you had two bunk beds, and then you had, um, the, like you say, the sofas kind of made into a bed big yeah, enough. Man, no. Actually, it was five-birth, big enough for three. What was but your... not that you'd ever have three people in a bed. What was well, your you caravan do, park? I suppose, if you were do, you know, do you remember the name of the caravan park? Uh, we used to go down, what, down at Breen? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. Wasn't it was like, one right on, the, right on the beach. Warren Farm, same as the one we right, went to. Okay, yeah, yeah, same one. That's, that is sick. <laughs> that is a strong caravan site. That really is. Yeah. I remember going there, but that was like, oh man, that was a long time ago. And then one year we went to Butlins, went on the all the stuff, swimming pools yeah. and slides and stuff. That's some strong slides. I'll give that for Butlins. Didn't go and see any of them red coats that are sing around there. <laughs> no. But um, they did have an arcade there and they had two games which bit me. Operation Wolf, which I had to oh, stand on a box yeah. to play. And Thunderblade, which I now see Thunderblade wasn't a great game, but I liked it because I had that big hydraulic cabinet, yeah, which you yeah, would turn yeah. the stick and you would the whole thing would rotate. I loved it. It's basically like going on a ride. I loved those, and I remember coming back and I was like, "Man, I want to play games. I love these games." And I kind of like a, a not maybe not that Christmas, but the following year, I got a secondhand Spectrum. Man, I love that thing. I love that. I, I I played that thing a lot. Yeah. But you know, it didn't. It wasn't like it was like if I'd grown up in a world which had Gears of War and Halo and Oblivion in. Man, all I would have done was sat in that room with frigging matchsticks in my eyes playing video games all day. Yeah. As it was back then, it wasn't the games weren't like that. So I was like, you know, play a bit of that, go cycling, go hang out with your friends, play with your toys, still always then play a little bit of Spectrum, you know? Which came first, Operation Wolf or Operation Thunderbolt? Thunderbolt was a sequel. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah, Thunderbolt was a sequel. Wolf was good. What a lot of people don't, remember, don't know, there's some interesting trivia, is it wasn't a light gun game. The thing it was actually mounted on was a joystick. So... As you moved the gun up, it would the joystick. It was the the game would understand that the joystick was being really? pulled back, so it wasn't actually shooting anything at the screen. It just was moving an invisible crosshair around the screen, and you have to you have to calibrate it by um, when you turn the machine on, you drop the gun to the bottom left and pull the trigger, put it up to the top right, pull the trigger, and so on. It, you you calibrate. Oh it. wow, I never Interesting realized that. Interesting fact. Yeah, yeah like, vir- like Virtual Cop or Mad Dog McCree, the god awful Mad Dog McCree. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, those two are like real light gun games. I'll tell you one of my early. Sorry, Matt. We'll get, get right. you. One of my early uh, arcade experiences was I got a totally addicted to Final Fight in the arcade. Man alive, I could not stop playing that Final game. Fight's all right, man. 
Oh, just so many. It was like 10, 10 p back then. But my one foreign holiday when I was a little kid was I went to Mallorca with my mum and dad, and every night I would play WrestleFest. And there was this some Scottish kid who was on holiday at the same time. Basically, he's like a year older than me, so we used to play WrestleFest together, constantly loving WrestleFest. It was like, the, oh man, it was the best. You play like, you know, Honky Tonk Man, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> Big Boss Man, Million Dollar Man, all these guys. A lot of guys named Man, I guess. Uh, all these different dudes. And yeah, we play we play WrestleFest all the time. We got so good at it. We literally we could just put in like how whatever coinage it was and just keep playing all night long if we wanted to. But what I remember most about that was behind us there was a machine which was always surrounded by dudes, always just ran with dudes. And I used to look around and I'd be like, I know that's not for me. I don't really feel like playing that. And that game was Street Fighter Two. Really? <laughs> yeah. There you are. It was just when it came out. There you are. I remember getting to the age where I kind of understood what video games was, and I went down and picked up. Um, copy of Halo and uh, start playing. Oh, that is no, sick. no, no. <laughs> imagine that. Oh no! <laughs> no, really. Um, no, in actual fact, I was quite compared to everyone else at, at school. I was quite late at coming into games. They all had game systems, and I'd be like, "Mom, can I have a game system?" She'd be like, "No, you can't, because games are bad for you, <laughs> and they'll, they'll mess up your mind." So, uh, and they I did. think, yeah. and sure enough, um, so I think I started off with. Uh, I remember getting an Acorn 2000 or 3000, one of them. It was like a family computer. Oh. What? What? what my, a, my, what cousin, my cousin, who, was like, who had money, also had a BBC like Acorn kind of jobby on the go. That is a rich kid's machine. Right? Little oh, Lord it? Fauntleroy. That is. Is it? Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Um, and we and had then next, a... Mummy got me a PC. <laughs> <laughs> so that, we is, had, that uh, is a richy rich machine right we there. We had Lemmings and Chuck Rock. I think those two. Chuck Rock, that was rubbish. They, I got really into those two. And uh, I watched an Archimedes. <laughs> my first like proper console was uh, it was uh, it was like a Sega Mega Drive with Sonic Two. I think that was whenever that was. It's a decent start. My first yeah. console was actually a SNES. I skipped over the whole, the whole NES generation. I was my eight bit thing was a Spectrum. Yeah, I didn't play much much NES. My mate had a NES, and we used to play. Um, I can't remember even what we used to play. Something on it. Battletoads has that been on NES? Yeah, that'd yeah. Be on NES. Let's play a bit of Battle That was space. a hard game, man. Yeah, that, I was rubbish. I was rubbish at that. Yeah, and then Amiga just took over my life. So I sort of bypassed a lot of console, the early console mm. days. Actually, didn't really, really pick up until sort of later, later on in the Snezz's life. Final question, then. Yeah, go being on. a long old podcast. Um, right, if you weren't a games journalist, what would you be doing, Tim? Writer. Would you be write a famous, books. famous author? Yeah, I'd love to write books. Is that it? Just be, I'd just be, I don't know, sucking off dudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> and I I'd, I'd, uh, I'd be paying Mike my millions to it. No, oh. um, <laughs> I, uh, I'd probably, I don't know, I'd probably see if I could join the police or something. I just you can't thought, use like, writer. Come on, you, you can't do writer. Well, to be fair. Right, yeah, right, but so. he's a writer in that already, so it's like let's just remove the games thing from the equation. Then, what would you be doing if you couldn't be writing at all? Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know because all I've ever wanted to do is uh, is 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 write. Yeah, and I'm not talking about necessarily writing about games either. I'm talking about like writing books and stuff. That's all I've wanted to do since I was a, a youngster. I know I'd be um, a sociology teacher. Yeah, yeah. What was it you said you'd be? I'd probably go. Try and join the police. I always wanted to be a teacher when I grew up. Did all work experience at schools and stuff. And then I think I hit about 16 or so. And suddenly I just got massively put off kids. 
I my sister's six years. I would work at a college, not school, man. My sister's six years old, older than me, and she just cannot stand kids. Like she's a vet, and she's always growing up. She's like, like oh, kids are kids. awful. I think I think the fact me being her little brother probably added to that fact. But um, yeah, for some reason I just went off the idea, and I thought, well, if I do anything else, I don't know, I'd probably try and join the police. Speaking oh, of pellet as a kid, like, we, there's a strong story we can sign off oh, with. No. Tell me that story that you told to me and Hoodie when we were walking back from when we, were, we had the pie the other week. The story about you putting the food on top. <laughs> tell, tell our listeners that story. They don't want to know that they, story. They want to know that story. It's a terrible sign out. They want, they want to know Why the story. Why do they want to know that story? Because they all enjoy the story as much as I did. I'm telling you, they'll enjoy it. It's dreadful. It's a glorious story. I haven't heard this one, so come on then. Okay, so... um. <laughs> Sorry, mum. <laughs> um, my mum's not a very good cook. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, mate. Oh, I'm digging myself a hole. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, I did used to like eating meals. Um, they weren't very nice. I used to get like <laughs> burnt pizzas with frozen middle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell it. Or or um I get like baked beans and I'd wait for them to warm <laughs> to warm up to room Tim. <laughs> oh right. Is it I'll the end of the podcast? We can cut it if you decide you don't want to hear it, but Tim needs to hear the story because I laughed. Anyway, so um in in the kitchen we used to have like um like a dresser type of thing, so few cupboards and it was attached to the wall um, <laughs> 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 i'm gonna have to cut, cut this i think and um yeah a lot of the time when <laughs> <laughs> this isn't making it in <gasps> sorry about <laughs> Whenever there was like, um, I'm laughing because I know what's coming next. <laughs> Whenever there was, <laughs> it better be a good payoff, palette. It's not. <sighs> Whenever there was like, um, something quite horrible, like a, a, a burnt chicken burger or something. <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> I think I know where this is going. I just throw it to the top. <laughs> so anyway, about um, about three years after, I remember I was around my nan, so my dad came around very angry, and he was like, "Oh, come back! What have you done?" And and they hit, <laughs> they <they'd laughs> a mountain of hairy food. <laughs> yeah, they'd found it all, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> about three years worth of it. Food. <laughs> yeah, so that's the story. I don't really know what the context is for for this podcast, but there you go. It's a bit of a funny story when I was a bit weird as this kid. You, we can you can shop it anyway. <laughs> I saw Tim need to. That's why I just jumped back into my mind because you were talking about yourself when you were little. It's a good story. That. Yeah, so uh, that's why that's why that's why I don't like food. No, that's why I eat a lot of food now because I can appreciate it. what good food is. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you always do bring in such good food into work, Matt. <laughs> What with your uh, what, was that? Yeah, I'm sure your mum really appreciates you saying that uh, you bring all that really good food into work, like 
Whatever strings. that turd was you got out your lunchbox yesterday. Cheese strings are literally the smelliest rice cakes in the history of the world. <laughs> that disgusting turd bar you got out yesterday. What's it was this like, turd bar? It was, I don't know what oh, it no, was. Oh, the, no, the, the pepperoni cheap knockoff that's called the pepperami or whatever it is pepperami knockoff yeah. that literally looked like hedgehog turd it's disgusting <laughs> why hedgehog because hedgehogs do long turds don't do they, they? Oh, do they yeah, yeah I should know I stepped in and up in our garden uh, oh. weekly loggerman report he's not he's not dishing out no he's not although he turned out he turned out yesterday briefly but I'm not sure I thought I think it might be mini loggerman it wasn't it wasn't are there two of them well it was Let's put it this way. I wouldn't like to spend too much time in that cubicle, but it certainly wasn't up there with um, the baby's arms that have been left in there before. <laughs> Mr. Longerman, often imitated, never equal. That's right, yeah. So on that uh, bomb show, I think we'll probably uh, sign off the podcast for another week. And uh, thanks for listening. Um, do look us up on Twitter, where we have over a 1,000 followers now. Xbox World 360, or should I say at Xbox World 360. Uh, Go on the website, post questions on the forum. We'd love to hear from you. Send in letters, emails, anything. Emails are better, really, than letters. But uh, xbw at futurenet.co.uk. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sorry, Mum.